Thanks, John. Appreciate it. I invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 5. Obviously, this past uh, a week ago on Sunday night, we had Matt Ellenberger here and um, been processing through that as a body, as a leadership team, and uh, hopefully this week, earlier, sometime during this week, we'll be able to communicate kind of where we are, just moving through that, praying through that decision, and appreciate your prayers um, as we uh, just kind of sense or try to discern where God's leading us on that. Um, but uh, today we're in uh, chapter five here, and uh, it's funny, every speech class I ever took, every preaching class I ever took, all had the same uh, beginning uh, of uh, what are the elements of uh, how do you communicate, and what do you do, and how do you start stuff, and they all you know, choose their own words or whatever, but they all said essentially the same thing. Make you sure you start the message with something that hooks people, right, or gets people's attention. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's easy for today. We're preaching on circumcision. <laughs> Everybody up? <laughs> Paying attention? All right. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Um one of the reasons why we preach through passages because um, in 17 years I have never preached on circumcision and when you take a book you have to preach what comes up on the next chapter and here we are Um, when uh, here's here's a thought if you could think a little Bible trivia you don't have to answer out loud, uh, but uh, if you can mark the idea in your mind, when, when was the first time God brought circumcision in? I don't know if you've thought about that too much or anything like that. Um, I thought, uh, just off the top of my head, I was thinking, oh, that, that's got uh, to be Exodus, right? And, uh, you know, Ten Commandments and things like that. And then I was quickly proven wrong. I'm like, no, actually, it's Abraham. It's all the way back at the very beginning when Israel started. Who knew, right? It starts back there with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And God comes to Abraham, and here's the high points. He comes to Abraham and says, hey, look, I'm, and it's all the movement of God. It's all God choosing, right? And Abraham has nothing to do with this. God comes and says, Abraham, I really love you, and I want to choose you, and you're going to be the father of this massive nation. And not only that, I'm going to not only make this nation out of your family line, I'm also going to give this nation land, like great land flowing with milk and honey. And not only am I going to give them some incredible land and real estate, I'm also going to bless the entire world through your family line in this nation. And God comes to him, and, and, and it's all by grace, right? It's God's movement. Knows, or, uh, Abraham has done nothing to earn this, done nothing, and God just does this. Chooses Abraham. And he says, and I, I want there to be a sign of this. And, and, and what God's doing, he says, he actually calls it a covenant. He says, we're doing this thing, this agreement. And, and, and I want there to be a sign so that you know and I know you're in on this covenant thing. And he says this about what this sign is. Every male in chapter 17 of Genesis, uh, it says in verse uh, 10, starting at 10, every male among you shall be circumcised. You 
are to undergo circumcision. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they, may, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh. It is to be a sign of an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. God comes along, incredible, gracious, promise, covenant, all, all on God to do all this, and Abraham just gets chosen, and God just says, look, there's a sign. I wanna know that you're all in. And, and God says, I, I'm choosing where the sign goes. And he chooses the one thing that is physiologically distinct to men, to Abraham. He chooses the one thing that is used for sexual intimacy and pleasure. He chooses the one thing that is used to bring life to the next generation. He chooses the one thing that men hide and guard. And, and, and you take this one thing away, and historically, men universally struggle with identity and their own masculinity. And God chooses, just think about it, he chooses the one thing that is profoundly male deeply personal, and he says, that's where I want the sign. I want this personal, and I want this to mark you and your life forever. And it's so personal that in a, God in his wisdom, infinite wisdom, knows that if, if a man goes forward with this in their hearts, will bring his family along. It's just that personal. And so we come to today's text. Joshua 5 and verse 2, and it says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath. Uh, I don't know, something like that. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt all the men of military age died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they had left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. After the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. God says this is the sign, circumcision, 
And it's, it's the sign that this is deeply personal to you and we have this covenant. Anybody who is not circumcised is out. And we come to Joshua 5 and nobody's circumcised. There's a lot of discussion of why. Why weren't they circumcised? You're supposed to do it on the eighth day after son has been born and they have been doing it for 40 years and there's speculation one oh you know they're moving so they couldn't do it but that doesn't make much sense because they're babies you can carry the babies along you know the one that makes the most sense to me is uh everything was on hold in their minds in the wilderness The plans God had for them, on hold. Promised land, on hold. Having a home, on hold. Eating from a land that's flowing with milk and honey, on hold. Taking away, it says here in verse nine, that um, the, the reproach of Egypt, they had this reproach of Egypt on them, whichever, whatever that meant, that was on them for 40 years, whatever that meant, that's on hold. They never got taken away, it was all over them, this, I, I guess, some kind of whatever on them. And the whole covenant really is on hold in the minds of the Israelites, and so rather than act out of obedience and rather than act out of faith, they let their experience rule their minds and they put their obedience to the covenant on hold since they felt like God had put them on hold. You put us on hold, I'll put you on hold, God. Who here likes being on hold? You ever think about that? It is so annoying to be put on hold. You think about when the phone was invented. They didn't invent being put on hold until what, the 80s maybe, 70s or 80s? And they're like, wow, hey, I don't have to hang up. I can wait on hold. And then after a while, that got really annoying. And so companies thought, I know, we'll play soothing music. That'll make it so much better, right? And then you'd hear all your favorite rock songs destroyed by some symphony playing it, and you're like, what? That is not that song. And that got annoying. And so then they thought, oh, I know. Uh, go on the farther, help these people stay on hold. I know, we'll, we'll start asking them questions and, and press one if you're this and press two if you're this and say this. And, and so you start to give all this information out while you're on hold and when you finally got to a person, they'd ask you every single one of those questions again and you're like, what in the world am I doing? So whenever you hear the options now, you just go click, I guess, or click. It doesn't click. And now they got the new one, right, where they actually tell you, hey, your wait time is, they tell you how long. And that's, that's scientifically proven to work, right? They've, they've tested rats on this whole thing. And, and, and rats, they put two rats in, in two containers of water, and one treads so long but has no sign of hope, and the little fellow treads and treads and treads and finally gives up. The other rat, 
They put in a little tiny container of water. It starts to tread, but they show them a little ledge, a little, little hope. You're not on hold very long. Keep treading there, fella, right? Keep, keep treading, don't give up. You only have to wait. And that rat actually swims longer, like crazy amount of time longer because he's got hope. Oh, it's so hard being on hold, right? You ever been on hold with God? You ever feel like your life is nothing but being on hold? I think they were on hold. And they just said, how many years are we going to do this? 10 years? 20 years? We're not doing this. I mean, they get to the promised land. No one was circumcised. It shows something about their own spiritual state. Now faith is big. Hey, yeah, God's here. But where was God the last 40 years for us? On hold. You ever wanted to quit or you wanted to ever bail on obedience and say, God, take me off hold and I'll start following you? You could ever get to the point where you say, well, what does it matter? I'm on hold anyway. And, and to compound this whole thing, so he says, hey, I want you to get circumcised, but to compound the whole thing, you think about it, for 40 years, they're not circumcised, it's silent, God doesn't say anything, and, and, and all of a sudden, now God's on the move, you know, three months earlier, they had the big battles with these two kings and destroyed them, they're like, wow, God's awesome, and they're, they're now getting close to the promised land, and then we see the Jordan River, God parts the river, oh my goodness, that was amazing, and they all walk through it, and they know God's there, and it's awesome, and they've waited 40 years for this moment, and then God says, I want you to get circumcised today. The first day, they're in enemy territory, and, and you gotta know that they're thinking, yeah, we had 40 years to talk about this, and now we're doing it on the day that we're in enemy territory? And they knew, they knew this was insane. Because if you read Genesis chapter 34, this had happened once before. And this is an awful story. It's, it's in Genesis 34. Uh, Jacob had a daughter named Dinah. I think it's Jacob. Um, I'm gonna make sure on that. Uh, yes, Dinah's the daughter of Jacob. Well, she, they were living in Canaan and among other Hittites and other ites and and someone actually raped Dinah. And Dinah's brothers, which were the sons of Jacob, found out about it, and they were livid, and they wanted justice. And they started working this, this deal kind of thing, and the men that this one guy was associated who had just raped Dinah, they came and said, hey, we want you guys to really live here. And the guy was like, they were thinking, no, this wasn't a big deal. And, and the brothers were thinking, no, this is a big deal. But they said, hey, we want you to live here. Why don't you intermarry with us? We'll intermarry with you, and we'll all become family, and, and it'll all work out. And Jacob's sons said, okay, that's cool. And they came up with this plan. They said, oh, if you want to intermarry with us, you all have to be circumcised. And the guys, foreigners, thought about it and went, okay. So all the men were circumcised at once. And while they were still, still healing, 
Jacob's sons came and killed all of them. They know that if they all get circumcised, there's no defense. There's no defense. And God's saying, I want everybody circumcised. The entire army will be ineffective and out of commission if they do this. They know their history. And, and you look at this and you go, God, what? You, you put us on hold for these whole years and, and now's the time you want? And he's thinking, well, you had all these years to do this. Do we have a covenant or don't we? And so they do it. The faith in God is at an all-time high. God's on the move. Their love for God is at an all-time high. And they, they do it. And what, what we know, but they don't know, but we know, verse 1 of chapter 5, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and, of the Canaanite, and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. It's an important editorial comment because it sets up the whole rest of this passage, which Israel still by faith doesn't know any of that. But they're safe. And they do it. They do it out of faith. They do it out of love. They do it out of appreciation of God's grace that he's still choosing them and he wants this covenant. We're in on this covenant, right? That's what God's saying. You, you and I, we're in because I'm about to bless you, but I want to know if you're in. Do you love me? If you go back and you look in, in uh, Genesis chapter 15, this whole thing started because Abraham was, was having this faith, this spirit thing, this belief in God, and God said, I'm going to credit that to you as righteousness. It wasn't that Abraham was circumcised first. It was that Abraham had faith. And what's interesting is what happens following these this, the army, the, all the men choosing to be circumcised. Verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach, reproach of Egypt from you. So this place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means to roll away, literally to roll away. But what's the reproach of Egypt? I was trying to remember that. I was like, all these stories and things, man, I've totally forgotten since college, man, I can't even remember from last week, uh, let alone from college, um, but, sorry, you may not remember that from last week either, um, that was just part of that message, but um, the, the reproach of Egypt, actually what was happening there was Egypt, l listen to this, this, is, um, this happened several times in Exodus 32, Numbers 14, Deuteronomy chapter 9, and, and, and Israel has, Egypt has basically been slamming and making fun of Israel for 40 years. And so Abraham is talking to God, and this is one of those moments where Israel had been rebellious, and, and he said, Abraham says, or not Abraham, Moses, sorry, Moses, Moses, Moses. So Moses is praying to God, and, and Israel's been stubborn again, and he says, remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, do not regard the stubbornness of this people, Israel, or their wickedness or sin. He's like, please just have mercy. Don't look at all this. Unless, lest the land of Egypt from which you brought us 
says, because the Lord was not able to bring Israel into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought Israel out to put them to death in the wilderness. Ha, 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 ha. What a lame God. I mean, that's what Egypt is doing. Mocking them. Basically telling the world that God is an epic failure. And what God was saying is when they ratified the covenant, he said, this day that all stops because I am about to do what I promised. And I like this because it shows that it bugged God. I think it ticked him off. And I don't think he ever forgot. He clearly did not forget every word spoken against him, every scorn, every whatever slander statement. And I, and I think sometimes we forget that God's name is on the line and, and even more than ours. And, and I don't know this culture when you ever get to that point where you just hear people that slander God and mock God and, and just the, the most dis, disrespectful and um, evil things said about him. And, and it's us. We're, we're tied into this thing with him. I mean, we're all in this. You ever get to that point where you're like, God, what are you going to do? God waited 40 years for this one. And I don't understand God's timing. Romans 11 says, Who knows the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? I mean, his paths are beyond tracing out. I, I don't understand it all, but there is something that is comforting in these verses when I, when I see this because I see that at some point God will roll back the scorn. And he promises there's going to be a big rollback, a final rollback. And there's a part of us, I think, as we walk this life and, and we move through and, and things get on hold and people start mocking us and mocking God, we just have to keep in mind he sees it. He knows. He knows. In verse 10, the circumcision triggered not only this rollback, it also triggered, uh, on verse 10 it says, on the evening of the 14th day of the month while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. It's very specific, this day, this camp, on the plains, Israel celebrated the Passover. And you think, oh, okay, well that's, that's kind of cool. They hadn't celebrated it in 40 years. Didn't say that there but they hadn't. What's the Passover? Uh, Passover was uh, the 10th plague. Happened right with the 10th plague. Uh, the angel of death came to kill every firstborn son in the land of Egypt. And it was gonna kill Israelite sons as well as Egyptian sons. God comes to the Israelites and says, sacrifice a lamb, paint the doorposts with its blood, and the angel will pass over your house and your sons will be spared. And the Egyptians didn't know about this and they lost all their firstborn sons. That's, that's it. But what's interesting about the Passover is God comes to Israel and before it's this national holiday, before it's ever happened, God says, this is going to be a national holiday. You're gonna celebrate it annually, all of you. Every one of you is going to celebrate this and remember this and, and he gives them instructions. It's so crazy, it hasn't even happened yet. 
And he's telling them, hey, this is what I want you guys to do. And they're like, oh, okay. And he says this, interestingly enough, as part of the instructions on how to celebrate the Passover. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. This is Exodus chapter 12, verse 48. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of the Passover. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. Isn't that interesting? They hadn't celebrated the Passover in 40 years. They couldn't because they weren't circumcised. God didn't want them to forget their salvation and yet for 40 years while they're on hold, they're just like, whatever. Incredible moment of salvation. I want you to rehearse it and remember it and I want this to mean something to you and I, this has to be something that is personal to you. It, it can't be just, just the next act to do, just to you know, whatever, check it off the list. I want this to be you and your hearts and you, you love me and you have faith in me and this means something. And so they celebrated the Passover. And the next day, interesting what happens, what opens up the door the next day after the Passover, verse 11, that very day they ate some of the produce of the land. First time, unleavened bread and roasted grain. Not, not a great meal, but it was still, it wasn't manna. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate some of the produce or ate of the produce of Canaan. You know it's big. You ever read something, you go, man, I know this is big. I know this is significant, but it's hard to get my mind around, wrapped around it. I mean, could, could you imagine all you eat is oatmeal for 40 years? <laughs> or all you eat is mac and cheese? Or all you eat is what? And then you get a taste of something else. And you're like, oh, so good. Oh, so good. Some of our kids came back from Guatemala and I'm so tired of rice. I don't want any more rice. I don't want any more beans. No more rice, no more beans. That was two weeks. Not even two weeks. Forty years of manna fed them. And it's interesting, Moses, three months prior to this moment, came to Israel and he said, I want you guys to understand what has just happened these last 40 years. You think you're on hold? This is what Moses said these 40 years were about. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, 
which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes out of the mouth of God. He comes to them, the man of, I mean, the, the man was still going at the time, but he comes to them, he says, hey, look, you, you wanna know why we're on hold? I'm telling you why we're on hold. We're on hold because God wants to humble you and he wants you to know that he provides everything and he wants to see, will you obey when you don't know what's coming next? Will you still choose obedience when you're on hold? Or will you hang up? The wilderness was this test. It showed what was in their hearts. They learned that life itself is God and his word. Have you ever been on hold? In the middle of being on hold, it, it's obedience. It's, it's, you just need God because it's so hard. Like, you get it, and then a week later, it's like, I can't do it. I don't wanna do it anymore, and then he, show, he shows you the word, he speaks to you, you go, okay, I'll do it, okay. And it's so hard. And no one refused when God made it personal. No one pushed back in this moment and said, God's going too far, he's asking too much, he has no right to ask me to do that. There's just humility, there's obedience, and what next, God? What else do you want? And these are grown men, they had a choice. never been circumcised. They took themselves and said, I'll do this. Not only take themselves, they took their sons. Probably had to hold their sons down. Think this meant something to them? I just don't have this written down right. It all happened in the first service. This sermon's been a mess. Um, and I just know I'm not saying this right. Um, or maybe I am, I don't know. Um, I see faces out there and I see people that I've known for five years, 10 years, 13 years, and I see people on hold. And I, I walked with so many of you, we've walked together. Uh, through uh, marriages, through uh, struggles uh, with uh, children, struggles to have children, um, losing jobs, um, being on hold, hold, but on hold everywhere. The, the only path when we're on hold is a humility. The only path is just obedience. The only path is, God, I need life. I just, your life. There's no other life. 
There's no other life found. Just speak a word. There's going to be a time of worship, and first song is surrender, which uh, is a sign of the covenant. Someone who's been humbled, surrendered, because God is so good, he's so gracious that he would actually love us and do this for us. Invite the team to come.
giving you my heart and all that is within I lay it all down for the sake of you my King Jesus we surrender to you we come before you saying we need you Lord We need you, Lord. Standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were us kneeling on this battleground seeing just how much you've done knowing every victory was your power in us scars and struggles on the way done with joy our hearts can say yes our hearts can on the way run with joy our hearts can say never once did we ever walk alone carried by your constant grace held within your perfect peace never once no we never walk alone Did you leave us all 
Standing on this mountain top, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us. Stay, I stay. When you move, I move. I will follow you. I will follow you. When you love, I love. How you serve, I serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Where you go, I go. 
follow you wherever you lead us, Father God. We are your people. Go now, following the love of Christ, following the light of Christ. Be his light, be his love as you go out into this world this week. Have a fantastic Sunday, and we'll see you all back here next week. If God is still moving in your hearts, please do not let this be the end. If you, want, if you need prayer, you want to spend some time in prayer, or just in quiet, feel free to come on down front. Um, otherwise, we will see you next week. Have a great day. <laughs>